Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to investigate the Scriptures with us as we consider Jesus' favorite topic, what he called the Gospel or Good News about the Kingdom of God. I wonder if you realize that Jesus was not just a Savior who died and rose from the dead, but he was also a saving teacher. He was a rabbi whose instruction, whose gospel message is equally important with his death and resurrection for our salvation. Jesus did not just come to die and to be raised from the dead. That was not the saving program in its entirety. Jesus came also to preach and to teach. In Isaiah 53 verse 11, we find a remarkable text in regard to the suffering servant, whom we know to be Jesus Christ, that text in Isaiah 53 verse 11 says that by his knowledge my righteous servant will make many righteous. By his knowledge, you note there, not only by his death and resurrection, but by the imparting of saving truth. That's how people are made righteous, are made acceptable before God. I recommend that text in Isaiah 53 verse 11 for your close meditation. It's not a text we hear read or expounded very often. Much is said about the death of Jesus, and of course the death of Jesus is absolutely essential, but little is said about his teaching ministry. And yet Paul said that the sound words, the sound and health-giving words, are those of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6 verse 3. I wonder if you realize that the teaching of Jesus was thoroughly rooted and grounded in the Hebrew Bible. Although the New Testament is written in the Greek language and inspired in the Greek language as we believe, nevertheless the thoughts are very much those of a Hebrew environment. Jesus was a Jew rooted and grounded in the Hebrew Bible, the 77% of our Bible which we call the Old Testament and which really should be called the First Testament or the Original Testament or perhaps the Hebrew Bible. If we refer to the Old Testament in those terms, it may mislead us into thinking that the Old Testament is somehow bypassed in the New, that it's passé or finished or obsolete. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Christian gospel is actually based on the promises made to Abraham, the famous promises of the seed and the soil. That's to say the distinguished descendant promised to Abraham and the soil or the land promised to Abraham. Jesus came out with a clear statement in regard to the land promise made to Abraham. He simply confirmed it and offered the same promise to his followers. Blessed are the meek. They're going to have the land as their inheritance. Now, that land promise had been reiterated in Psalm 37. No less than six times in Psalm 37, the famous Abrahamic land promise made in Genesis 12 was confirmed and restated in Psalm 37, and Jesus restated it again in the famous Sermon on the Mount. He promised that the meek, those who develop the character of meekness and willingness to suffer if necessary for the cause of Christ, those are going to have the land as their inheritance, Matthew 5, verse 5. Now that promise of the land in Matthew 5, 5 is corroborated and expanded even further in Revelation 5, verse 10. There it says that the faithful of all the ages are going to rule on the earth. Not only then are the meek going to inherit the earth, have it as their possession, but they're going to administer the new world with Jesus. All that, of course, is said clearly in Daniel 7, verse 27, 
where the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God which is going to come from heaven to this earth is going to be in the hands and under the control of the Son of Man and the saints. Daniel 7 and verse 27. We've been pointing out that a great distraction from this wonderful goal promised by the Bible has been created in our minds because of the false idea that heaven is the destination of the dying. We've been quoting a leading biblical scholar from Cambridge who says, Heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying. Nobody in the Bible promised heaven to anyone, much less a place for disembodied souls at the moment of death. This same scholar pointed out that there's been a gross exaggeration of emphasis on the moment of death. When we go to funeral services, we normally hear that so-and-so has disappeared to heaven as a disembodied soul. In 150 A.D., some 100 years after the life of Jesus, that idea was regarded by Christians as alien and dangerous. A leading spokesman for the Christian faith in 150 A.D. said, If you meet people who say that when they die, their souls go to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians. End of quotation. You see, the idea that souls disappear to heaven was a Greek philosophical idea which was perceived as dangerous to the biblical revelation. In our own time, many scholars have protested against this popular notion that people have already gone to heaven as disembodied souls. It's an idea that's propagated and confirmed every time we go to funeral services. But is it true to the Bible? Does it not, in fact, obscure the very much greater emphasis which the New Testament offers us on the future resurrection and that resurrection will only occur when the seventh trumpet is sounded and the dead are raised to immortality. A leading scholar in our own time says this about this influence of Greek philosophy on the faith. He says that it was the Greek philosophers who argued that at death our souls will survive our bodies. But this scholar points out that the soul of man in the Bible does not mean a part of him which goes on living when his body ceases to function. It was the Greeks who thought that there was an immortal soul residing in man and that this immortal soul could go on living consciously even after the death of the body. The immortality of the soul, says this scholar, is no part of the Christian creed. He says that it was the Greeks who thought that the soul of man was a part of man imprisoned in the body and longing to escape to heaven. But that's no part of the Christian creed. Well, how is it then that this idea is reinforced constantly in Christian churches? Something must be amiss when the Christian faith has been turned into Greek philosophy. The same scholar says that Jesus taught no doctrine of everlasting life for disembodied souls. And then he adds that no Jew who was loyal to the heritage of his fathers could possibly have believed in a disembodied soul which survived death. The Jewish belief which Jesus inherited was that there was going to be a resurrection of the whole man and that this new creation of a new person, an immortal being, would happen only at the last day, the day when Jesus intervened to resurrect the dead and to establish the kingdom. Now, this was certainly the belief of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. He said in 1 Corinthians 15:23, the Christians are going to be raised from death at the coming of Christ. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. It's only, he said, in the later verse, in verses 50 to 52, at the last trumpet, when that last trumpet sounds, it's only then that the dead arise from the sleep of death and gain immortality. In an earlier verse, Paul had said, if there is no future resurrection, then those who have died in Christ have perished. Paul certainly did not believe that they had survived as disembodied souls. Well, you may say, what about the passage in 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul speaks about being absent from the body and present with the Lord? One must read the context there most carefully. Paul did not expect to be absent from the body by being a disembodied soul. Far from that, he was looking forward to exchanging this body for a new body in the resurrection. He was looking forward, in other words, to the return of Christ and the immortalization of the saints when they receive a new body at that time in the future on the occasion of the resurrection. At that time, the whole man would be raised from death to gain immortality. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, We are of the day, we Christians are of the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul was looking forward, you see, to being saved in the future. He had a hope of salvation. And in another passage he said that you don't hope for something that you already have. And so salvation was still a hope. Now, of course, there's a sense in which Christians have been saved. There's a real sense in which they are being saved. But most importantly in the New Testament, Christians are looking forward to being saved in the future. And it's that hope of salvation that Paul stresses in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. In the next verse, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Paul said this, God has not destined us for wrath. That's to say the wrath that's going to come at the second coming of Jesus. He has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Obtaining it, that is, at the second coming. Jesus died for us, he says in verse 10, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him in the future, that is, whether we're asleep in death or awake and surviving, we're going to join Jesus when he arrives in power and glory to establish the kingdom. Listen again to the famous words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. In verse 13 he says, We don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant, brethren, about those who are asleep. In other words, about the dead Christians, those who have passed from this life into death, so that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring to life with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. I use there the New English Bible, which captures the sense of that verse beautifully. God is going to bring to life with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, in the future that is, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ shall rise first. Did you notice that those dead Christians are indeed dead Christians at that point until they're raised from death at the return of Christ? Paul said the dead in Christ, that's to say the Christian dead, are going to rise first at the second coming. Then in verse 17, we who are alive and remain 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. In that way, Christians are going to be with the Lord. It makes no sense at all to say that so-and-so is already with the Lord before the second coming. Paul said, this is how we are going to be in the company of Jesus. This is how we achieve unity and union and companionship with Jesus face to face through this great resurrection event described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. You'll note in this passage that Paul says that Jesus is going to descend from the sky. At that point, the dead are going to be raised, and at the same time, the surviving Christians will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, Jesus is coming towards the earth from heaven, and at that point, the dead and the living Christians will be caught up together in one group to meet this distinguished visitor, to go out to meet him as he makes his way in the direction of the earth. As with any distinguished visitor, you go out to meet him as he approaches your house and you accompany him back to the destination to which he is aiming, in this case the earth. His feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14 verse 4 says with complete clarity. We invite you to request from us free literature on the kingdom of God, on what happens when we die, and also an article entitled Rapture and Resurrection. You may also be interested in the question of the identity of Jesus. We have a booklet on that subject entitled Who is Jesus? We examine his role as Messiah, starting with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.